Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the Badass Ladies Club podcast. My name's Laurie, and I'm here with my good friend, Jessica. Hey. We are so excited today to bring you an awesome interview with one of the original badass ladies, in my opinion, Deborah Neal Baker. Um, but before we get started, we're going to talk a little bit about this week's Badass Lady of the Week who I'm so excited about. Yes, this week's Badass of the Week is a good friend of mine. Her name is Becca Ashman. She is a local makeup artist, and she is just a wonderful human being all around. Not only is she a wonderful, talented makeup artist, she's also a mental health advocate, and she is an elderly caretaker. And I love watching her... Um, Instagram where, you know, she shares all the stories and happenings with her grandma who she takes care of. And it's just, it's really heartwarming and sometimes difficult to watch, but necessary. And um, Becca is such a badass lady entrepreneur. She has built her business from the ground up. So if you're interested in following Becca. Her Instagram is amazing. Her personal Instagram is Becca Ashman. And then her business, her makeup business is BA Beauty TX. And Becca, we are so excited to invite you onto the podcast and your Badass Ladies Club a swag is on the way for you. Yes, Becca, we are excited to invite you on and hear all about what's going on in your world. So let's uh, get right to hanging out with Deborah. Yes. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Deborah. Hi. <laughs> it's Hi, so great to have you join us today. And you were, um, I think it was like episode three that we pulled yeah, yeah, you three. out for badass uh, lady of the week for me. I can speak personally. Like I have been in the Neil corporation orbit and for a little over 20 years now. And it's been so awesome to watch the evolution of how, you know, our businesses kind of work alongside each other. And you've always been such a great influence on me from a distance. And um, I'm really getting in touch with this idea that there's lots of uh, ladies that have been an influence in me over my business career that maybe know it or don't know it. And I know that I've had a chance to speak it to you a couple of times over the last uh, several years, but I just want to say thanks for the example that you've set for so many of us. Um, it's, it means something for sure. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. So one of the things that I've heard rep repetitively at different education events and definitely directly from you and from other leaders at Neil is that the secret to the universe is building, preserving, nurturing relationships. And, you know, when I heard that when I was in my 20s, I was like, yeah, you know, like relationships, those are important, you know, like I should really focus on that. Um, but now all of these years later, it just is something that has rang so true for me at work, in person and even just in a spiritual sense. So can you speak to that a little bit about, um, it's obviously got ingrained in my brain over the last 20 years, I'm sure uh, that's by design. So can you just speak to that idea for us a little? Sure. <clears throat> well, you know, relationship uh, is the key to universe from um, my point of view. And it really, I think it, it starts with the, you know, everything's related. You know, when you think about uh we are all related. And, and, you know, this time as challenging as it has been and the isolation and the distance that we have to keep to stay healthy, um, all of these things remind us that how connected we are 
and how related we are. And um, so the, you know, in relationship in our industry, it really starts with the relationship that we have with ourselves. And uh, I think that's at the source of everything. Um, it's, it's the source of our thinking, our speaking, our behavior. And uh, it's actually at the source, when you, when you look at it from a business perspective, I mean, a business is nothing more than a group of people that are connected and related and they come together. So, um, you know, in these times, as challenging as they have been, it has certainly um, uh, amplified um, the importance of relationship. It's almost like, you know, I always say there's so little that we are actually learning anew. Most of what we think we're learning is actually things that we are remembering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So, a big part of relationships from my point of view is showing vulnerability. And over the course of your career, I and many others have witnessed you um, fight a cancer diagnosis. You've lost loved ones. And now you're leading this huge company through a global pandemic that has rocked the beauty industry. So, um, Throughout these experiences, how do you feel being vulnerable has enhanced your business and your life? Well, before I talk about the vulnerability, I would like to, uh, you know, I have to acknowledge again, it goes back to relationship because you, you said that I have led this company through this uh, challenging time. And uh, I, <laughs> I'm only, I'm one of multiple people and relationships that have led the company. I mean, and again, that speaks to how, to, how do we get beyond, you know, the whole cliche on surviving and thriving to get to thriving is that we do it together. And so, you know, we have an incredible core leadership team at Neil that extends to the business unit leaders. So I just want to say that um, I appreciate you acknowledging me, but I'm just, you know, I, uh, my, my title is chief energy officer. And so when I, um, when I talk about, uh, my role, um, I do, I do accept, um, acknowledgement for always paying attention to the energy that we create. And it's, you know, that, it's that quote by Maya Angelou's people will, you know, they won't really necessarily remember, you know, what you said or what you did, but they will absolutely remember how you made them feel. I love that. And to me, that's, you know, that's always been, um, you know, very, a critical piece. So when you asked me about the vulnerability, um, uh, yeah, I, I have, uh, you know, instilled to a great deal, uh, day to day, I'm in a very vulnerable place. I, you know, it's been about a year ago that, um, we lost, uh, Michael Baker, my, my husband and creative artist to, uh, you know, he took his own life about a year ago. And I, um, I think that vulnerability is 
actually it's it's so necessary in showing and exposing our vulnerability because I think for so many we try to keep that vulnerability at bay and kind of you know keep it hidden and I think that's actually has created a lot of the things in our society and in humanity that literally really don't work. Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, and I, before the word, the term ver- vulnerability was kind of a, um, a key word. I've always been kind of, you know, we've always laughed. I've always been a crybaby. <laughs> you know, I've, you know, I've uh, in meetings or if, Hey, look, if the emotion comes up, I express it. And what I've learned is if I, if I try to suppress it, it's like what you resist persists. Yes. So suppressing my vulnerability or my emotions is, is ultimately not healthy. And what it does, it really mirrors for people. Um, and it gives them an example of you can be strong and sensitive. And actually that is, that's what's, that's what's necessary to be strong and sensitive. And there's a lot of strength in being willing to, you know, I think Brene Brown, she's somebody I've always followed and she's the queen of vulnerability, (laughs) right? And I mean, so that was always so uh, connecting with her was like an affirmation for me. (laughs) She's like, yes, (laughs) see, it is. It's a, so, um, yeah, I uh, have no fear around vulnerability, oh. uh, but it, it's because I've just expressed it, let it, let it flow. <laughs> That's so admirable. I wish that like came as easily to me. I just, well, that's part of the example piece of it, I think, because, and I've spoken about this story before I, uh, have watched you, uh, be vulnerable in this respect, like on stage in front of thousands Thousands. of people, you know, like have the wave of emotion carry you and you feel it and you let it, you know, like move through, like I've watched you do it. And I remember in my mind's eye thinking, oh my gosh, I could never do that. And how brave and badass and boss lady that is, you know, that you can um, be that real, uh, you know, on that uh, scale. But I will tell you that I have had lots of opportunities over the years since I've watched you do that, where I I could do that, not on a stage in front of thousands of people, but like on my own. And I, (laughs) I did it and it, um, it was not as hard as I thought it would be. And it did have, um, a much greater impact than I had imagined. And so, yeah, letting, being vulnerable and having those emotions. I just think that for myself, I always had this idea of people that were really successful, especially in a business respect, man, they tied it up and they could keep their emotions at bay. Mm -hmm. And that being a emotional woman in business was part of what got you like a label, like you weren't able to uh, take care of business because you were too busy being emotional. And I just wonder if there's ever been a time that you felt judged for being vulnerable, being emotional, or if anybody's ever pushed back on that with you, as far as you being an overly emotional woman in a business respect? Um, perhaps in the, you know, early on. Uh, but you know, I've had the the privilege like you ladies 
of being in an industry that is so heart centered that um, I don't really, I haven't really had a negative experience of, you know, of that because our industry is so special and we are, you know, we're surrounded by creatives and empaths. And uh, I, again, I think that the more you suppress the emotions, the more you are at the effect of them. So when you've heard me say and watched me, let the emotions flow through me, because if I don't, if you don't, if you let those emotions, um, if you hold on to them, that's really unhealthy. And, um, you know, it kind of ties, connects back to my personal, you know, my personal mission, which I identified and articulated like when I was like 23 and I had just started working in the beauty industry and uh, watching the interaction between the hairdresser and the client in the chair and and having my own experience of uh, what a um, supporting experience being in the salon and being a client of a hairdresser or esthetician can be. And it just, uh, all of those things resonate with me. So for me to stay, for me to accomplish my mission, which is to wake up every person that I touch um, to their own potential to create a, a positive impact is um, it's how I stay awake. So you stay awake by being in that flow and paying attention to um, and not letting the emotions, like I said, you're not at the effect of them. It's kind of like, have you, are you, either of you meditators? Do you oh, meditate? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, meditation was one of, has always been one of the most challenging, you know, cause so, you know, I'm 65. So when I started practicing meditation was, I mean, I was in my late twenties and I could not, could not keep the thoughts at bay and then over the year and over the years of uh the kind of the evolution of the way meditation is described or defined and and directed it's not about eliminating your thoughts while you're meditating it's not about eliminating your feelings or pushing those feelings down it's about noticing them Mm -hmm. and letting them and like letting them pass, acknowledging them, but not being at the effect of them. And, you know, just like meditation, I think that so is life in that with our, our feelings, you know, here we are, we are, you know, we're in this critically challenging time and really kind of what's required is critical thinking. So critical thinking is really kind of like this ability to question and to acknowledge and test previously held assumptions. And so it's, you know, we're navigating two worlds. And this all ties into feeling and vulnerability and leading. Uh, And not just leading in these critically challenging times, but leading, I always say we're all leaders. 
You know, we're all leading our lives and it's leading our lives. that creates the foundation for leading everything else in our lives. And it doesn't mean you're leading a life of perfection and you're always succeeding or you're always moving forward. Uh, you know, it's like we're navigating two worlds simultaneously. The, the linear world, which would be, you know, the logic, the reason and the science. And then we're also, it's this nonlinear realities of love and joy and beauty and transcendence. So. Um, it's a, it really requires a full integration of linear and nonlinear. And um, I, uh, all of these things, you know, it's, it's a lifetime of practice. So I always encourage everyone, whether you're 23 or 43 or 73, it's an ongoing uh practice it's it's this whole thing of living this thing we call we call life it's you know and like so many of us i've had this my experience of life is that it's 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 weird <laughs> definitely <laughs> it's just yeah, weird it's super weird <laughs> yeah <laughs> super weird and it's wild and it has its moments of being really wonderful yeah. And um I don't pretend to I just we're all navigating that. The weird, the wild and the wonderful. Yeah, it's like when things uh get really low sometimes, it makes you appreciate how sweet the real highs are sometimes too, you know, like it's yes. that constant pendulum that uh is swinging. Yeah. When we speak yes. about vulnerability and feeling emotions. Um, I know Jessica and I've talked a lot on the podcast just about how everyone is dealing with um, grief in one respect or the other right now. Um, For a lot of us, because of the COVID situation, you know, like you're grieving the loss of the way that life used to be. Um, We're grieving the distance that we have between us and people that we love that maybe we would have seen, you know, in person more frequently. And um, just learning how to manage grief, I think in general is something that I know the two of us have talked a lot about, um, and that we're even kind of working on a grief and, uh, spirituality style episode, uh, where we can really dive into that, but, you know, grief in respect to losing loved ones, grief in respect to losing parts of your life or times of your life. Like, I feel like grief is something that, um, that I've always struggled with and something that I feel like you are a great example again of, you know, just how to navigate and roll with the punches, you know, and move. Through yeah. That. Roll, roll with the punches. That's it. You know, it's, it's really kind of more of the same conversation that I, you know, that, that we're having. I do, grief is, um, you know, again, it's a feeling, it's an emotion. And uh, um, again, to be, totally, you know, transparent and, and vulnerable. I, so I've spent my entire, I think that the first, the first self-help book I ever read. Now, remember it's called personal growth and development now, but back when I started, it was called self-help. I mean, <laughs> And the first book I ever read was my mother, myself. And, um, so I've been on this journey for my entire life 
And you, you might say I'm kind of a spiritual seeker. So the grief um, is, it's very much like you have to let it flow. Now, after losing Michael and the way I lost Michael a year ago, I know that the, all the work that I've done on myself over the years prepared me to a degree for that. But it was, I'm just going to be honest, uh, the talk therapy and all of that, there, were, there was a time after Michael left that none of that, I knew all of that. It's like, okay, I know that, but I'm not able to get myself out of this deep, dark hole. So my family really encouraged me to see a psychiatrist. Now I've done all kinds of self-help, all these workshops, all of this. And I had never, um, I'd always managed myself and my emotions very well until that with Michael was a whole new. And, um, I got myself on antidepressants and it's, you know, it's, it's made, it's made a huge, uh, difference in how I've been able to navigate this last several months, because there is a thing called, you know, our chemistry and, you know, sometimes we need, we always need support and help. And it's not always what we expect it to be. And it wasn't that it wasn't what I expected either. And uh, so it takes, it really requires tuning into all the resources that are out there. And there's a lot of resources. You just have to be open to it. And uh, so that helped me navigate the, the grief. Um, but grief, again, it's one of those things that you have to allow. You have to allow for the grief. And there's no timeline. There is no timeline. Yeah. Someone just asked me, you know, it'll be a year in, in the next week or so that Michael left. And is that going to be sp- particularly difficult for me? And... um I don't know that it's going to be if that day is any more difficult than every day. Yeah. I, um, I'm, it's just the way I come to the world, the way I've, you know, evolved how I come to the world is very, um, you know, that time and space are kind of an illusion anyway. Again, it goes back to this weird, weird, wild and wonderful thing we call life. It's like, it's a mystery. So I, you know, embrace the mystery every day. And uh, yeah. I love that about you. Um, a couple things. First of all, thank you for, you know, talking about your experience with your grief in losing Michael and, you know, taking medicine because we were actually just talking about um, an upcoming episode where we want to help normalize that stigma. And so thank you for saying that and um because that's just a, literally a stepping stone to what we were just talking about well mental earlier health this week yeah in general I think that 
people go through this idea that when you reach out for help with a psychiatrist or with medication or with whatever your path is, that that has always, I know for some people that I've been involved with indefinitely at times in my life where I've been in that situation, felt like a sense of failure almost, you know, like I couldn't do it without that. Um, and I know that that shame or that stigma that's attached to reaching out with resources, whatever they may be for each individual is something that we want to help, um, give people permission, you know, to do what it is that you need to do to take care of yourself first. Speaking to this idea that you spoke to earlier, that the most important relationship you have is this relationship with yourself. And if you're struggling, um, with anything that there's ways to help support you, uh, in that. So yes, I commend you for, sharing well, and for I, going there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. Uh, well, y- you ladies and I, the other day when we had our, our little pre conversation, you know, I've said, you know, we've, I've, I'm of a generation where it was always, we were always told, Oh, you don't talk about sex. You don't talk about politics or religion. And, um, obviously that is, uh, you know, is, those are the, those are the things that we should have always been talking about. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, instead of, you know, the having them be taboo. Yeah. And and death and dying and suicide and mental health, those are all more of the same subjects that we need to for our own mental health. Yes. And emotional health and spiritual health and physical health. I don't I don't put it those are, you know, those are all domains of the whole self. So when I talk about resources, you've got to, if you're going to really take care and evoke more self-love, you've got to be paying attention to your physical, your emotional, your mental, and your spiritual. And, and you know, it, it's like in any relationship, sometimes more certain aspects are going to be more, you're going to need to focus more on one aspect more than the other. But those four have to always be at play, always be at play. And, uh, you know, I, I really became so sensitive to the reality when Michael left the way he did and how people were so shocked because they thought that he was this creative, like gregarious and that he was always like that. That was only one aspect of Michael. Yeah. And for most of us, mental, we all suffer or deal with a degree of mental dis-ease. Think of the word dis-ease. We're not always at ease. So the we all, you know, we all deal with a degree of mental dis-ease, in my opinion. Yeah. And we just have to be aware and pay attention and not be afraid to uh, talk about it. Uh So I think that the more of us uh, that are talking about all these taboos, let's get it all out Uh in the, you know, so that we can truly support each other. I love that. Yeah. And kudos to the two of you for doing that. Oh, thank Thank you. you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Thank you. Um, And I, you know, 
this could be me being in my own little bubble here um, because I've only ever been in this industry. I've never worked in any other industry before, but I think that um, depression and anxiety, I know it runs in a lot of different people, but I think that creatives, especially um, that we're usually on, we're feelers, you know, and especially coming from a hairstylist perspective. And we've talked about this a little bit before when people are, um, constantly talking to you all day and it's just a lot. And I, yeah, I can only imagine for, you know, a lot of creatives out there, how it gets that way. Well, and I feel like, you know, in respect to doing hair specifically, like you are kind of on stage when you're out there, you know, like you have to pretend like it's okay. Right. And you start over your performance every 45 minutes, you know, like with a new person. And so, and that you get asked the same question repetitively by people all day long, you know? And so it does become this very like, Oh, I'm performing on stage and I do this all day long. And that it, uh, it almost isn't you, you know, like it's it's hairdresser you. And that, that is hard on mental health specifically. I think when you're going through something, you know, like that, um, being vulnerable with clients is a very different, you know, yeah, Yeah. it's a, it's a weird thing. And that's where I feel like, um, supporting each other as an industry is so important with mental health because so many of us are going through this space where we are, uh, taking care of that person that's in the chair because that's what we're paid to do is focus our energy and our attention there. Um, but that that is equally draining sometimes if you don't have an avenue to support yourself with that later. Well, and I, so a lot of the support that I think hairdressers need to get through that every 45 minutes is each other. Yes. <laughs> is the team yeah. mm-hmm. that you're working with. I that 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 is a huge support system. So what are salon owners and teams doing to create this really safe encouraging space for if you know because one of the things that always came up for me when I was watching the interaction between the hairdresser and the client was it's that old saying healer heal thyself. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I love that. The the hairdresser in order to do what the work, the meaningful work that they do every day, I really I really think that they specifically need to be constantly taking better care mm-hmm. of yeah. self in all areas because you're right they do take on a lot and you know i it's funny because it used to always be well you fake it till you make it exactly that's how that, i was yeah. always I know, taught i know and you know what i've questioned and i was the i've always been great at faking it um but i don't know i'm not as inclined to uh, advocate for that anymore yeah these There's days so it- many things like that that i Again, I've questioned, and um, I think it kind of goes back to another kind of um, uh, an approach that I that I have um, taken on over my lifetime, and that is, I have this aversion now to the word and the believe. 
believe and believe in our belief systems and our beliefs. I see so much of what we believe to be true uh, proven inaccurate over time that I, for me, I would, I prefer thinking to believing Um, because I do think that a lot of, a lot of what I've believed in the past ended up, and maybe that's why it's kind of trained me to be more of a thinker than a believer. And I know that that's going to, some people are going to say, whoa, wait, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that's all right. We get a lot of that at this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I, uh, I really, I, I prefer thinking to, um, to believing. I like it. I think sometimes our, what we believe in impedes our growth. Well, limiting beliefs in general, we've talked about, you know, that you kind of have to decide as, and I feel like I've, I do it maybe every five years or so where I sit back and I'm like, okay, so what do I actually believe? Like how many of these things that I thought I believed were just handed down to me or something like fake it till you make it that I had heard so much. I just adopted it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I realize sometimes maybe not until words are coming out of my mouth that I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I don't really believe that, like, and how you have to reevaluate as it's you just this social yeah. construct that's been like indoctrinated and in right. like stop saying that because you don't believe it in the first place, and that we are so unconscious yeah. sometimes uh, with our perspectives on things that just sitting back and being like, okay, so let me think about this. Like, I like I like thinking as opposed to believing. You know, is, uh, I love that. Yeah, you know. Well, and and, and think about this last year yeah. with with the pandemic. I, I mean, uncertainty has reigned, right? Yeah. And in uncertain times, and what we, as humans, we really want certainty. We want answers, mm-hmm. which here's another one. Here's another one for you to stir the pot a little more. <laughs> yes. Is that oftentimes, I mean, um, we actually, um, are always looking for the answer. We want the answer. Okay, we're always looking for the answer. But there's more power in living with the question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there's a thought that it once a person has the answer, they stop the thinking yeah. around that. I love it. I love that. So living in the question, which means you're living in uncertainty most of the time. But an an ambiguity, and honestly, that's probably part of the lessons here. These last this last year has been it's there's more uncertainty than we've ever wanted to acknowledge, and it has to do with control. I was about to say it's kind of freeing to say we want answers because we want control. Yeah, and again. You know, sorry, it's funny because in some of these kind of conversations, uh, some of my close family call me Debbie Downer. (laughs) What? And uh, I'm, you know, it's funny. I've gotten so, okay, that's what you want to, is that I, it, for me, it's not about being, I'm, I'm really what I've said. I'm more of a uh, optimistic realist. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
I, uh, I'm not a Pollyanna. I, I honestly have always struggled with being a positive person because I'm such a thinker, you know, and there's not, the world isn't, you know, limited to either negative or positive. It's a mix of both. So, um, I, uh, I know that we want answers and sometimes in the control. And I think that we've learned if we haven't learned over these last several months that we have less control than we think we have and where we have the most control is control of self. Yes. And if we would all just get, stay tuned into that, the whole world would Oh my gosh. Level up. Yes. It's been so freeing to just throw my hands up and be in like, listen, sis, <laughs> Yeah, I can't control what's happening. I can't control the situation, but I can control yes. what I do and what's within myself. Um, mm-hmm. you know, real quick, I wanted to go back to, you know, we were talking about salon owners. What are you doing for your staff? And just real quick, I think it, that this is a good situation to say, you know, what we get to do with William Edge every year, um, that Billy has always every year put on tribal forum. And it is a weekend of like not a single haircut, not a single hair color. It's strictly focused on us and our personal growth and our personal enrichment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, some of my friends who aren't in the industry or even some of my friends who are, but don't work for William Edge kind of cock their head to the side and they're like, you guys do what? what? And, um, and I just can't put into words like what that has done for me as a human being to have a boss who cares about, you know, who we are as people and not just dollars that we're turning behind the chair. Yeah. And so yes. I would encourage, you know, salon owners, if you're listening to maybe think about something like that for your staff. Well, and I can just speak to, there's a lot of things that we've learned at tribal forums mm-hmm. that have translated into us wanting to create this podcast, you know, and a lot of the people that probably a lot of who you, the two of you have evolved to become and are becoming is a result of the support that Billy has created in the work environment. Yeah. Yeah. And it also, I mean, (laughs) tribal forum is something that we do consistently every year, but there have been so many opportunities that you and I have had with, uh, different Tony Robbins events and different education opportunities, or even just going and spending time with other salon leaders and doing the community things and all mm-hmm. of that, like that you can't. And I, I will say this about lots of salons that I've worked for, but you know, for the last 11, I've been at William edge. I didn't know anything about the beauty business when I started in it. You know, like I started answering phones and counting registers every day. And if I have any sense of success, it is in large part because people have been willing to invest in me Mm -hmm. and not just invest money, but invest belief and patience and time. And the fact that I was figuring it out and that that is, uh, something that I try so hard to keep in mind now that I can be a leader for other people is that the best thing I have to give uh, back as a thank you for that is to invest that in other little ones, you know, that are coming back and it keeps me accountable 
to yes. who I say I yeah. am, you know, to, to do that with them. So Absolutely. it's a really beautiful circle that I think comes together when you focus on people in your business and making sure that they are as healthy and happy and, um, supported as they can be. And that only has good things on the other end when you are talking about dollars is right. that you've invested your time in the right way. In full circle, that goes Absolutely. back to how we opened with <laughs> The secret to the universe Indeed. is relationships. So. It all engulfs yeah. each other. Yes. Um, Deborah, you, it's funny because Neil Corporation, you know, I, I call myself like an original Neil baby just because it was such a big part of my education and training. I went to Pine Street, you know, I stayed in the <laughs> houses. I, I remember uh, Edwin coming and banging on my door and making me go on jogs around the pond. Like, I think it was like at five fifteen in the morning or something, you know, like there were no televisions. Uh, we were forced to read books. Like it was very, uh, it shaped a lot of me at a really young age, but I've always had this sense that I was like part of the family because of the way that I, my training uh, was structured when I was really young and that Neil Corporation is a family business, you know, in a lot of respects. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I know that's got to be by design that, that there is so much of the family that is in it, working on it, of it. And then there are so many of us as customers that we feel that family vibe. So can you speak to this idea of like having a family business and expanding that family to the people that you guys work with? Absolutely. It's one of the things that I think that, um, we are the most proud of and the most, uh, it's mo the most fulfilling is that yes, Neil is, we're a third generation family business. We've been around for almost 80 years now. And we are, I'm um, kind of the bridge between the second and third generation. When you, when you speak about generations, because uh, we do, we have uh, multiple, almost all of the siblings are involved. Um, Uh, did I lose you no, for a second? You're, you're, you're okay. You're back. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Sorry. No, sorry. Um, so being a third generation family business that we are so committed to the beauty industry and we, I mean, we act, we love the industry that we're in. And I think that love and that passion has just sustained itself into the third and fourth generation. And we, as a result of, uh, all of the family members, now you're going to hear my dogs do that. I'm awesome. <laughs> New generation. I mean, uh, yes, I, yeah. I, have, I have four dogs. Let me. There they go. Uh, so the, the family, we have an extended family. It's not just about the family members. It's about mm -hmm. the extended family. And we've always considered our customers to be our extended family. Again, it goes back to the relationship. And I'm, I'm sure that that's why we are now getting to experience being almost a fourth generation business because of the relationships. Yeah. Well, it, uh, it translates, uh, all the way out to, uh, to where we are right now. Um, and I love that just, I, I don't know, maybe because I've got a long perspective to look at like what Neil looked like, uh, back in 2000 and 1999, you know, and then what it looks like today and, um, that I've seen 
how uh, things shift and change, but that you're always connected as a family. And I think that's part of why I work at the salon I work at now, you know, like William Edge is very, it's a lot the same, you know, like it's a family company. And then there's those of us that aren't like blood family, but we're family, you know, right. and, um, and that that's really Absolutely. special and that that yeah. keeps you, um, connected to a brand in a way that you wouldn't be connected if you didn't have those, uh, heartstrings like family yeah. ties for sure. Well, I think that it goes down to even the the clients that come to the salon yeah. and continue to support the business. It's it's this sense of belonging to something that is bigger and wider and deeper than just you know ourselves. Yeah, anybody can have a job, right? Yeah, yeah, anybody can have a job, but that feeling of I'm part of something bigger than myself, you know. Um, that's why, that's why I choose to work on a team and not lease a suite or, you know, um, and I have a lot of friends that do that and it works really well for them, but that's why I like the team environment personally. So it works for me. Cool. Um, so Deborah, just out of curiosity, I'm, I'm actually really happy that you brought up like when you were 23, um, because we want to know what would you tell your 22, 23 year old self, or what advice would you give her looking back? Well, the thing that I probably have struggled with most of my life that even, even, even at 65, you know, I always think that, you know, in, in every lifetime we get these lessons and we, we learn. However, I don't know that we actually, they ever just like, they go away. They're like, kind of a theme in our lives and they do kind of shape our, our reality. So for me, I've always struggled with, uh, with self-confidence and like self-doubt. So that has been a gift for me in a way though, because it has kept me working on myself to continually gain confidence, even though I still struggle with the lack of confidence, if that makes any sense at all. So, I mean, I think that what I would tell my younger self is, is I would encourage me to, uh, and give some brightness to the future that you will get there. You will become more aware and more self-confident as time goes by. Just hang in there and keep doing the work. Love that. That's great advice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you making the time today to uh, spend with us and to share your uh, wisdom and uh, keep it up, girl. Like you're uh, even at uh, all these years later, like I'm still I'm still inspired and still excited to see what comes next. Thank you. And uh, thank you for including the barking dogs in the (laughs) and that's my reality right now. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's all of our realities working remote, uh, anymore. Like dog background noise is just part of the gig. I feel like anymore. For sure. We've got our own barky dogs at home. Not to worry. We do. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have a uh, beautiful rest of your day and, uh, we'll see you well, at serious I would business. Like to, right? I would like to, yes. I would like to add, you know, serious business, uh, this coming year is going fully virtual Yes, and we, um, you know, it's, it's always intended to expose, evoke, and evolve our thinking, thus impacting our actions. So this year, uh, like all the other years, that's our intention. 
And with all of the remote learning and Zoom meetings, we you can count on us to um, have the experience fully virtual be kind of an exceptional virtual experience, meaning that we are doing our our best to call in some thought leaders that you've never been exposed to, that we've never been exposed to, and also people that have uh, in our industry that have provided great examples of creating an anticipatory mindset to get through these times from, you know, from technical to business to personal uh, and collective uh, growth opportunities. So, and, and, and your Billy is going to be one of the the panelists that we, uh, that we get to hear from. I know. I'm so excited about that in January. And what we're really encouraging people to do with this is that it's really a unique opportunity for everyone to participate in serious business. Where in the past, I mean, look, not many of us can really justify or afford or have a a budget that would we could bring everybody to serious business. But this year, this coming up, you can because we've got a $200 team rate and we're really encouraging people to use that as a, a means of your own launch of the new year. That's what we're doing. We're definitely doing it. Have a salon, have a staff meeting uh, and everyone gets the same information at the same time. And in a for uh, a forum where you can actually have the opportunity to have dialogue among yourselves about what you're learning and being exposed to. Well, we are absolutely taking advantage of that. We've already yeah. got the team scheduled. We're going to make like red beans and rice and jambalaya. And we're going to have gonna a be whole, New Orleans like, yeah. themed. There you go. It's going to be great. Yeah. Um, we're well, good. And I'm excited that, like you said, the whole team can participate because it always has yeah. been a thing where like a handful of us would go and we'd try and bring it back. And um, so I love that uh, you're taking s- this pandemic situation and spinning it into an opportunity yeah. that's going to reach so many more people. It's it's yes. awesome. Me and they. So yeah. yay for serious well, business. Yeah. Yay. yeah. And thank you ladies so much for the privilege of, of um, having this conversation with you, the two of you today. The yeah. honor the, is all, all of ours. People that listen. Yeah. yeah. So, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks Deborah. Have a good one. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.